0: Good to see all of you this morning, and good to have you all joining us from your homes this morning through our live stream. Uh, we obviously are going to be observing the Lord's table today, but we're also going to be starting a new series, a 15-week series through the prophet Isaiah. And uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, is, is a very significant book in the Bible Uh, before i call my volunteers forward this morning who are going to help me out at the beginning of the message let me just share a couple of things about the book of isaiah isaiah is called the prince of prophets because he probably out of all the prophetic books of the old testament he is the most significant of all the books he is also referred to as the fifth gospel added to matthew mark luke and john in the new testament because He says more about the Messiah, more about Jesus, than any of the Old Testament books. Isaiah is also the second most quoted book behind the book of Psalms in the New Testament. And Jesus quoted the book of Isaiah more than any other prophetic book. So it really does sort of have a a place of its own in the Bible And I think these 15 weeks that we spend in the book of Isaiah are going to be very profitable and beneficial for us. But I also thought it would be good at the beginning of this series, as we're sort of setting the stage for the series, to have a little bit of a geographical refresher for all of us. So I'm going to ask my five volunteers to come up on the platform with me at this time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, please come. Aren't they great volunteers? Yes, yes. Awesome. All right. Uh, Caleb, I'm gonna put you back here. All right. you come on over here. You stand down a little bit. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna put you right there. and then Kate, you stand like right there in front. And then Bree, you come on up here and you're right in the front. All right. Now, this isn't exact, right, an exact sign, but this will give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about. And and if I had to title this entire series in the book of Isaiah, it would be, where are the people of God to stand in a world of shifting sand? Well, what took place 2,700 years ago in the book of Isaiah is just as relevant for us today because we're in a world of shifting sand as well. And we need to understand where is it do we find our stability, our security, our surety, our settledness? Where where do we find that? Well, the people of God were groping for that as well, okay? And here's why, Okay each of these young people represent a nation and the three in the back represent the three world powers that were the most prominent world powers during the entire old testament era okay so you have egypt over here you have assyria right there and you have babylon over here right and for the entire old testament those three empires were the ones that ruled the world. Okay? Then you have the kingdom of Israel was divided after Solomon, if you know your Old Testament history. And so it was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom that was composed of 10 tribes was Israel. The southern kingdom right below it was Judah composed of two tribes. So you notice something, right? The people of God right are surrounded by three world powers and they always felt very surrounded by those powers very pressed they they almost felt like they were at the mercy of the shifting sands that were going on because for a time, Egypt controlled everything. Then for a time, Assyria controlled everything. And for a time, Babylon would control everything. In fact, two of these world powers, Assyria and Babylon, will eventually carry the Israelites into captivity. So where do the people of God stand? How do they navigate all of this from the world-shifting and world powers dealing with each other and competing with each other and all of that, where do they, much smaller than these three nations, where do they find their stability, their security, their surety, and their settleness? That's what the book of Isaiah is all about. So thank you all. You, You did your great part there this morning. So what I'd like to do is i'd like to dive in to our message this morning which will be from isaiah 1 but also sort of again set the stage for where we're going to be throughout this entire series a couple of things before we get into it if there would be a key verse or even a key part of a verse that would be what i would consider to be the verse again that sort of summarizes the message of Isaiah, it would be Isaiah 12, chapter 12, and verse 2. And it would be just the first part of that verse where Isaiah says, Look, God is my deliverer or my salvation. I will trust in him and not fear. Okay? In fact, I would encourage all of you to memorize that. That's a good phrase to memorize. Look, look at God. God is my deliverer or my salvation. I will trust in him and not fear or not be afraid. You see, the Israelites had a lot to be afraid of. Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon all surrounded them. In in their world, it was like they were at the mercy of forces that were bigger than they were. They, They were in a world that they had no control over. And where were they going to find stability and security and all of that in that kind of world, even as the people of God? Well, god would always say it's by you trusting in me i'm your security i'm your stability i'm your surety i'm the one who will settle you even in a world of shifting sand and so isaiah 12 2 is really key to the whole book is god our deliverer Is he our salvation? Are we trusting in him and not being afraid? In fact, the name Isaiah, the very prophet who wrote this book, means God saves, God delivers, God rescues, or salvation is of the Lord. That's what the name Isaiah means. So even the name of the prophet that God is using here is calling his people to put their trust in God. That's where we as God's people should always be standing in a world that is shifting sand. Well, Isaiah starts out, notice back in chapter 1, verse 1. Here is the message or the vision that Isaiah is given that gives revelation from God about Judah and Jerusalem. So notice that Judah's or Isaiah, excuse me,'s message is very specific. It's to the people of God in Judah, the southern kingdom of the two divided kingdoms now of Israel. It's not directed yet to the northern kingdom, but just to Judah and to its capital Jerusalem that was revealed to Isaiah son of Amoz during the time or days when Uzziah Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah reigned over Judah. And for now for the rest of the verses we're going to look at this morning this is God literally speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking But these are God's words directly to his people. As I shared at the end of the service last week, in a sense, this is a voicemail from God. This is God saying, hello, my people, I need you to hear. So notice in this passage we're looking at this morning, in verse 2, God says, listen, and then he's directing it to the heavens and to the earth, for the Lord speaks. Look at verse 10 listen or pay attention because this is the Lord's words. And then at the end of verse 20, God says at the end of the voicemail, know for certain that the Lord has spoken. God is wanting to get his people's attention. So this message, though it may seem harsh to us, this is not a message from God to pagans. This is not a message from God to those that do not believe in Him or claim to believe in Him. This is God's message to His very own people, and He says, "I need you to wake up I, I need you to be awake to me, and, and you're dull you you, you don't understand." what you've done, and and what the consequences are that you are living in and living through, and you've brought this all on yourself, and it doesn't have to be this way because you're groping right now as my people for this stability and security and surety and subtleness, and you're looking in all these other places for it except turning to me. When God created us as human beings, and even established a relationship with us as his people, it was all about a relationship. And God is trying to get his people to see down through history, 2,700 years ago and even still today, that you will not feel stability in your life. You will not feel secure. There will be no settledness in your life, even as my people. And you will have no surety in your life unless you're standing on me, unless you you are in a tight, close, growing relationship with me. Otherwise, you forfeit that. And then your lives end up falling apart and, and your lives end up looking a mess and it is so unnecessary. That's why in the, verse 2, God is calling upon the heavens and the earth to be witnesses to, in a sense, an indictment against his own people because the heavens and the earth, they listen to God. Uh, The sun doesn't ever say to God, God, I'm not going up today. The sun doesn't do that, does it? No. The sun always follows the Lord's directions. The earth always follows the Lord's directions. So notice what God says in verse 2. I raised children. I brought them up. I established you as my people, but you have rebelled against me. You've broken away from me. You've turned your back on me. By the way, disobedience can be accidental. Rebellion cannot be. And then God calls upon animals to, in a sense, be a witness to this indictment against his own people. He says, even an ox recognizes its owner and a donkey recognizes where its owner puts its food. God's basically saying, my people are not even smarter than animals because animals know where the source of their sustenance and nourishment and food are. My people have become ungrateful. I thought about that when Tony was sharing about that word gratefulness and thankfulness and not showing appreciation and gratitude. Even animals know where their stuff comes from. But the people of god have rebelled against god and they're no longer thankful and they're no longer showing god the appreciation that he deserves for all that he's done for them and where he has brought them yes they are surrounded by world powers but god wants to teach his people in all generations it doesn't matter who you're surrounded by and who's in power, and what's going on in the world. You will never find stability and security and settledness and surety in anything or anyone other than me. But when you plant yourself in me, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world and where the powers are shifting and who's in control and all of that, you will find stability and security because it only comes from me and a relationship with me. Israel, notice, does not recognize me or really know me, verse 3. My people do not understand. They have made no effort to get to know me. God is saying, I built you to have a relationship with me. You have none, because you've put forth no effort on your part to grow this relationship, to be in a relationship. For you, you've walked away. So notice verse 4. This sinful nation is as good as dead. The people are weighed down by their evil deeds. They're carrying around these heavy, unnecessary burdens because they've walked away from me. They are offspring who do wrong, children who do wicked things. They have abandoned the Lord. They have forsaken or walked away from him and rejected the Holy One of Israel. You will see that phrase more in the book of Isaiah than any other book of the Bible. In fact, it's used 31 times in the Bible describing God as the Holy One of Israel, and 28 of those 31 times it's found in the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah's favorite description of God. It's what we even talked about last week. He's holy. He's holy other There's no one like God, no one more magnificent, no one more beautiful, no one greater, no one higher, and yet they've treated God with contempt. It's like God is a very small thing to them. They have filled their lives with all these other things, and God somehow, instead of being the most glorious and the most important thing in their life, he's been pushed to the edge. He's been pushed to the fringe. And then God asked this in verse 5, why? Why? And notice God pictures in verse 5 and 6 the people of God sort of being in a condition of being beaten up. They're, They're like a person who's been in a fight and been beaten up. And he says, why do you insist on being battered? Why do you continue to rebel or withdraw or pull away from me? Your head has this massive wound. Your whole body is weak. From the soles of your feet to your head, there's no spot that's unharmed. There's only bruises, cuts, open wounds that need to be cleansed and bandaged. And God says, why? Why do you want to live that way? It is so unnecessary. You could be having such a close, intimate, vibrant relationship with me. You could be planning yourself upon me and be the most strong and stable and and secure of all the nations in the world, no matter who surrounds you. But you walked away from me, and now you're suffering terrible and very unnecessary consequences. Why, God says? Why would you do this to yourselves as the people of God? And then God looks at the land itself and the nation and the suffering of it as he continues on in verse 7. Your land is devastated. Your cities are being burned with fire. Right before your eyes, your crops are being destroyed by foreign invaders. They leave behind devastation and destruction. Daughter, Zion is left isolated like a hut in a vineyard or a shelter in a cucumber field. She's a besieged city. Oh, God paints a very vivid picture here. You see, back in biblical times, during harvest, people wouldn't go from all the way at their home all the way out into the fields. No, when it was harvest time, they would build these little huts that really weren't much of anything at all, and yet they built them so that instead of taking precious time to travel back and forth between their homes and all of these fields and stuff that needed harvesting right away, they'd stay in the fields until the harvest was done, but they'd stay in these very little flimsy huts. And God is saying, that's you. You're you're like this little... You're not a strong house anymore. You're like this little hut out there in the middle of the vineyards, in the fields. And it's all so unnecessary. And then, verse 9, if the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts, had not left us a few survivors, a very small, strong remnant, we would have become quickly like Sodom, or become like Gomorrah. Whoa! Can you imagine what the people of God thought when Isaiah, speaking for God, was referring to them like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm sure that cut them to the heart. How dare we be compared to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? We're the people of God. And God would say, Well, you're not acting like it because you're not living in relationship with me. Y- y- I'm not important to you. You're, you're spurning me. You're treating me like I'm nothing. You're treating me with contempt. You, I'm not your priority. I, I'm not the one we sung about that I want nothing else but God. I'm not the center that we sung about. I'm on the fringe. I, I'm barely a thought in your mind throughout the day. And God says, you're suffering because of it. And it's so unnecessary. By the way, God reminds them, I'm the Lord who commands heavenly armies and earthly armies. I'm the Lord of hosts. Why are you worried about Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt? They're nothing in my sight. If you put your trust in me, I'm the one who controls those nations anyway. All the nations of the world could come against me and be nothing. All the demonic hosts could come against me at one time and be nothing. I'm the Lord of hosts. And my people need to be reminded of that and remember that every day. And then this transition in verse 10. Now the prophet actually addresses, especially the leaders of Judah as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, listen to the words of the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Pay attention or listen to our God's rebuke people of Gomorrah, and now God shifts from sharing with them how unnecessary all of their pain and suffering that they brought on themselves because they've abandoned the Lord is, and now he wants to get to the very heart of their worship. Because, see, they're still worshiping God. Externally, they're still going through the motions. And before I read these verses... I would never do this to our dear worship leader, but can you imagine a worship leader in any church getting up before the service and saying, now, before we worship the Lord, I want to share with you a call to worship out of the Bible. Of what importance to me are your many sacrifices, says the Lord? I am stuffed with burnt sacrifices of rams and the fat from steers. The blood of bulls, lambs, and goats I do not want, When you enter my presence, do you actually think I want this, animals trampling on my courtyards? Do not bring any more meaningless offerings. I consider your incense detestable. You observe new moon festivals, Sabbaths, and convocations, but I cannot tolerate these sin-stained celebrations. I hate your new moon festivals and assemblies. They're a burden that I'm tired of carrying. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I look the other way. When you offer your many prayers, I do not listen because your hands are covered with blood. Boy, that'd get a crowd full of people to come to church, wouldn't it? (laughs) Now, here's the deal. This cuts right to the heart of what worship is all about and shows us the heart of God when it comes to worship. Everything that God talked about in those verses are actually things that God told his people to do. So why now is God coming along through the prophet Isaiah saying, I don't even want all this stuff. I don't want you to go through all this ritual and stuff. Because, see, the people of God may have even thought, well, the prescription, the answer to us being alienated from God is becoming more religious religiosity, that's what we need. We need to just be more into our rituals and and, and get more religious. That's the answer. And God's saying, no. Because all these things that I actually prescribe for my people to do mean nothing to me if your heart is not in it. If these things are not done from the heart, it's not that God wants these certain exercises done just for exercise' sake. It's that our heart be open to what God wants to show us through these exercises and that our heart is drawing closer to God in all that we do. Worship is shown here in the book of Isaiah to mean nothing to God when our heart is not behind it. I think, wow. What an indictment on the modern church today. How many churches and how many assemblies, how many groups of Christians would God say, you're going through all the external outward motions and it may look good to others, but I'm not buying it and I'm not into it because your heart is far away from me. You, You are living for yourself six days a week And then you want to walk into my house and make it look like I'm the most important thing in your life. And God says, no, no, no. That's not what worship is about. When we come to worship God, it is an overflow of our worship, of our gratitude, of our thankfulness, and of all that we do for God throughout the week. And I will say this as the pastor of this church, and I know I'm biased, so I'm going to just say it up front. But I think at least right now, we're on the right track. I'm not saying we have no room for improvement, because we all do. And as a church, we do. But I sense that one of the reasons why God is moving and working like he is is because he sees the genuineness and the sincerity That most of you bring when you come to the house of God you're not here just to be religious you're not here just to go through the motions you're not here just to sing songs that mean nothing to you or a God that means nothing to you you're here because you're falling deeper in love with God and you're building your relationship with God and therefore your worship is becoming alive and becoming more enthusiastic and more energetic and all of that it's because it's real and God is doing something in you and that's all always what God has looked for in worship. The problem is, 2,700 years ago, the people of God were coming to the house of God and going through all the motions, but their heart was far from God. They didn't love God. Their lives were filled with idols and idolatry. There were so many other things more important to them than God, and yet somehow they just wanted to check the box off which is what a lot of people do. I'm just going to church on Sunday just to check the box off. I'm I'm a religious person. I'm I'm a good person. No, it's about a relationship, a deepening, abiding, intimate relationship with God because that's what God's always been about. And God is saying, you're sitting here in the midst of these world powers and you're shaking like a leaf blown in a storm, and it's so unnecessary because you could be so stable and so strong and so secure and settled and sure of yourself in me if you'd just come back to me, if you just start putting me as the priority of your life, that you want nothing more than me and more of me, that you want me to be the very center because we recognize As God's people, you're such an awesome God that we sung about this morning. In all of this, though, God's a God of hope. The last word from God to his people is never judgment. It is always hope. You remember that. Because in the book of Isaiah... This is a book about hope for God's people even though they're going to continue to turn their backs on him and eventually he's going to use these other nations as a rod of his discipline upon his people to purify them and take them into exile for a while. But even in that, God's not punishing his people. He's purifying his people. He's bringing them back to himself through allowing certain circumstances and situations in his life because he wants to show his people there's hope. Better days are ahead. Your best is still ahead of you. And that's why then, instead of ending like that, notice what God says through the prophet in verse 18. And this is an invitation of God's grace and an invitation that screams hope to people who are so far away from God, and all God wants is for them to come back. Why? Because he loves them, and he he wants our very best. And the only way we get our very best in order to be stable, secure, and sure, and settled is to be planted in him. So God says in verse 18, come, my people, let's walk and talk for a little bit. And that's really what it is. God is saying, come, let's take a walk and let's talk about some things. Let's consider or discuss your options. But it, ultimately, it's your choice, says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, you can become white as snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. I want you to look at those phrases, you can become. That's the hope, see? See? God says, you don't have to stay this way. You don't have to to continue to live feeling very unsettled and unstable and insecure and, and, and weak and all of that. No, you can come back to me and I will forgive you and I will pull you to myself and we can be as close as ever. That's the hope that God gives, but he gives his people their choice. It's your choice. I will always be here, God says, for you. But you've got to understand something. You're not putting two and two together that the reason that you're suffering personal things sometimes like you are, your life is filled with stress and worry and and anxiety and all that, it's so needless because you're just not putting your trust in me. And then you're in this world that's crazy. Yeah, the world was crazy 2,700 years ago, but God says, if you plant yourself and make me the foundation, that's where you're standing, then it doesn't matter what those other nations are going to do around you. You're going to still feel as secure and settled and stable as you ever could because it's about a relationship with me. And so God says in verse 19, if, again, pointing out it's your choice. But if you have a willing, a compliant, a pliable attitude, and you obey, you listen to these words of mine, and you follow them, you will eat again the good crops of the land. Ah, but if you refuse and rebel, you're going to be devoured by the sword. Your choice, your choice, God says, to his own people, But God says, come. There's the hope. I don't know where each of you are in your relationship with God today, but I know this. It doesn't matter whether you're close to God right now or whether you're as far away from God as you've ever been in your life. God is saying to all of us today, come. I'm your answer. I'm the one that can take care of this situation you can't fix it yourself you start I start by coming to God and saying God I'm coming back to you I'm gonna align my life like never before with you I'm gonna plant myself upon you like never before you're going to be the foundation that's where my feet are gonna stand in a world of shifting sand I know God, I'm beginning to recognize there is no feeling of stability, security, surety, or or settledness outside of you. Once I depart from you, once I take a step into this world, oh my, there's total instability there, total insecurity there, feelings of anxiety and everything's out there, hopelessness. But God, when I come back and I put my whole life on you, and I stand upon you, my rock, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm stable. I'm secure. I'm strong. I'm sure. I'm confident. And so God is saying to us today, come, come. Let me heal. Let me forgive. Let's get back together again. You don't need to be so far away. Come. And I thought, what an appropriate passage of Scripture on a Sunday where we're observing the Lord's table. Because observing the Lord's table isn't just about being reminded of our Lord's sacrifice. It's also about realizing why He offered such a great sacrifice for us. It was so we could be more religious? No. It was so we could have a relationship with God. A relationship with God that literally transforms our life, our perspective, our attitude. Everything has changed. When you and I make our relationship with God the priority of our life and we stand on him every day, it doesn't matter what the world does or what's going on in the world. You will feel secure, stable, sure, and settled and strong in your God. And so the same challenge that the people of God had to deal with back then, the same choice that they had to make back then is the same challenge and choice you and I have to make today. That's why a message 2,700 years ago is still as relevant for us today as it ever was. Because we live in a world of shifting sand. We don't know from one day to the next, one week to the next, one month to the next, what's the next thing. And God says, it doesn't matter, does it, if your life is planted in me come come to me I'll leave with this thought before we begin to wrap it up let's go back to that key verse for the book of Isaiah Isaiah 12:2 where Isaiah said look God is my deliverer I will put my trust in him and not fear, and not be afraid. God is calling his people throughout this entire book, all 15 messages that we're going to be looking at, that's the bottom line of the message. Will you put your trust in me and not be afraid? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And as they come and prepare for us, to worship one final time. As they get settled, I'm also going to ask Teresa and our communion team to also get in place. And what we're going to do is, Teresa and her team are going to distribute the elements throughout the auditorium. We invite you to take the bread and the cup By the way, for any of you that might be concerned or care about this, no matter what your dietary restrictions are, this bread's safe for you, okay? And the wine that we use here is non-alcoholic, but yes, we use wine instead of grape juice because I just a personal conviction of mine that I see nothing wrong with churches that use grape juice. I see nothing wrong with churches that want to use regular wine. But here we use non-alcoholic wine because I believe that something that is symbolic of what our Lord did on the cross by shedding his blood for us should not be something that tastes sweet in my mouth. It should be something that has a little bit of a bitterness or bite to it to remind me of the cost of our salvation. So they're going to begin to distribute as we begin to sing And I would just invite all of you that as you get the elements to to just stand and join us as we sing this last worship song, and then when the song is done and all the distribution of the elements are done, I'll come back up and I will lead us in partaking of those elements. One other thing. These elements are for the people of God. I would encourage you, if you do not have a personal relationship with God, not to partake of these elements. This was done for by Jesus for his own people. If you don't have a relationship with God, but you want one, then please call upon the name of the Lord or talk to one of us and we will we will lead you so that you can leave here knowing that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. But For those of us that know the Lord, this is a time of reflection for us, a time of renewal of commitment, a time to say, God, I'm I'm coming even further towards you today. I'm planning myself upon you and your foundation like never before. So let's stand and we'll let them begin to distribute and we'll let our worship team begin to lead.